Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Club. This is Season 2, Episode 11. We are piggybacking off the back of the Women's World Cup, which we are right amongst as we chat to you, and we are so excited about. It's great to have your company. I'm Ben Hook. Beyond the Club is here to help make Australian sports clubs places that we can be proud of. I'm joined each and every week by the brains behind this operation. He is Flinders University's award-winning associate professor in sport health and physical activity. His name is Sam Elliott. Sam, g'day. Hello, Hooky. How are you? Mate, I'm really well. We have been blown away by the news this morning. It is July 18. Staggered to learn that the 2026 Commonwealth Games has been cancelled. I'm stunned. I know you are as well. What's your initial takeaway from it? It's all very raw. It's very new. We don't know where it's going to go, but what are you thinking first up? Well, my first thought is I hope someone else can pick this up because I'd hate to see the games not go ahead. I think of a lot of the young athletes that are literally organising everything about their lives to actually compete. And I get that there's two sides, three sides, 10 sides to this story. That's the first one that comes to mind there. But a lot to unfold here, I'm sure. I've got four takeaways, Sam, and I'll share them with you very quickly. And then we're going to get into today's episode because that's where our focus does need to be. I am concerned for elite athletes of these marginal sports that don't have the big incomes of AFL. These are the one of the few opportunities they get for genuine exposure to an Australian market. We know how great Commonwealth Games have been in the past. The 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne was amazing for some of our local athletes. It put Anamirs on the map. It's a really classic example and I think that's a great shame that those elite athletes who don't earn lots of money have lost one of their great opportunities for exposure. I am concerned about the fact that there was going to be a great long-term legacy from these Commonwealth Games of top-class stadiums and facilities in regional areas. So places like Geelong and Shepparton and Bendigo are going to potentially lose these facilities. And there's some flow-on from that as well because Netball Australia was hoping that its eighth club would, I guess, plant its roots in regional Victoria and use those facilities on the back end of that. And I just wonder where that's going to sit now. That's a real concern for netball. My third takeaway, Sam, is that this is the biggest sporting event in the world where able-bodied and disabled athletes compete side by side. And that's a great opportunity for disabled athletes to get exposure. And that's potentially going to be lost here. And then the other thing I'm sad about, and this is completely selfish, is that Commonwealth Games still deliver some all-time great sporting moments. I'm reminded just two years ago of the Birmingham Games in 2021. Do you remember Ollie Hoare winning the 1500 metres and that famous call by Bruce McAvaney? I was actually only listening to that a couple of minutes ago. I almost feel like I want to replay it to you guys. It's so good. It's still up there on Twitter. But even Jess Denson winning the marathon as a new mum in those stifling, hot, humid conditions, and she just outlasted the field. And that was really inspiring to watch, I think, not just for people like me but imagine a new mum who sees Jess Denson do that and thinks I'm going to get back out there and get back into exercise so yeah I agree with you I hope it can be salvaged my fear is that that's very very unlikely and I wonder what the long-term future of the Commonwealth Games actually is but just in these opening hours after it I do think this is a really sad loss for community sport in particular in all of those facets athletes who don't earn a lot of money regional athletes who are going to get a great opportunity to use stadiums and uh, and disabled athletes as well I really feel for them today 
Yeah, absolutely. And fingers crossed someone will come along and, and take this opportunity if it's still there. What we do know, I delivered this at my keynote at the AFL Gather Round earlier this year, but for every dollar spent in community sport, there's an economic return. And this is a KPMG report from 2018, I believe, but there's usually a $7 return for investment. So if there are any other communities or states or people out there that would love to see the games continue. I hope that we can find a way because so many people benefit from this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be a huge long shot for South Australia to have a crack at trying to host it. You're up against so much and the potential for it to be a failure is just so great for the amount of outlay. It would be a very, very concerning position for any government to take at such short notice, but let's just hope for the, the long-term viability of the Commonwealth Games. Let me just race through a club of the day for you and then we're going to get into the episode. Can I just share with you very quickly the story of Adelaide Rowing Club? I think they're quite amazing. They wear distinctive red, yellow and black colours, which is unusual for an Adelaide team. Normally they're red, yellow and blue, aren't they? Imagine if you had you know one or two members from your local club competing in a World Cup. That's not a bad record, I think. They've actually got five, would you believe? Oscar McGuinness, lightweight double skull. Angus Dawson, men's coxless pair. Alex Hill, true legend of the sport, already an Olympic gold medalist. He's in the men's coxless four. And Olympia Aldersey and Molly Goodman are both in the women's eight. They're all competing in World Cups at the moment. So Adelaide Rowing Club, congratulations. You are my club of the day. Fantastic. I had no idea. And yeah, that's amazing. We're going to talk about the Women's World Cup. We're just on the back of the fact that the Australian Matildas in France played a warm-up game and there was 56,000 people there, Sam. We thought it was a great opportunity just to get into the nuts and bolts of what's happening in particular in Adelaide with the Women's World Cup. We have two guests who are about to join us. They're Kimberly Conte and Michael Carter. Kimberly Conte is the head of Women's World Cup Adelaide and Legacy. So she is really tasked with making sure that there is long-term benefits for the game and for women and girls in particular killer on the back end of the Women's World Cup. And Michael Carter, an old adversary of mine, we played a lot of cricket against each other. He's now the Chief Executive Officer of Football SA. Looking forward to our conversation with them. They'll be joining us right after this. Kimberly Conte, Michael Carter, welcome to Beyond the Club. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You must be so excited. We're on the verge, so let's just paint the picture. We're a week out from the first game at Highmark Stadium, just days away from the opener of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Kimberly, I'll start with you. You must be excited, anxious, all of those emotions that come with on the verge of such a huge event. It is really exciting. We're really, really proud to be hosting the matches here in Adelaide as part of the Women's World Cup this year. And it's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I just really encourage everyone to get out and take a look. And it is exciting. I've gotten to that point where we're almost at the wedding stage, is what I tell everybody in events. It's going to happen, and someone's going down the aisle in a dress. I don't know who it might be, but you get to that point where you plan everything for so long, and then it actually gets to to happen. You get to watch the fruits of all those efforts, which is great. Australia played France in a warm-up match a couple of days ago, and uh, let's roughly time-code This where July 18, 56,000 people or the crowd was just astronomical. Did that raise your own expectations of what we can see here in Adelaide in the coming weeks? Oh, absolutely. We know the ticket sales have just gone through the roof. Adelaide was one of the first venues to sell out. And we know we've got great supporters of sport in general here in South Australia. So exciting times for us. Michael, the Matildas aren't coming to Adelaide, and of course that would have been amazing if we could have seen the Matildas here, but we've got some pretty amazing nations, and in particular countries where we've 
had uh, historically some great immigration populations arrive as well. So China are here, Korea are here, England are here, and I imagine Brazil are going to bring their own level of excitement as well. When we witnessed the draw, we thought we got the dream draw, and I think all of Australia certainly saw that as well. The round of 16 game obviously will, will be another event that we'll host here and we would likely have you know a, another nation of significance here we've been very lucky with the draw the ticket sales have been fantastic I was lucky enough to be at the France game on Friday night the atmosphere was electric the feeling amongst the crowd when you know we went forward to score and so on was just amazing so we're in for a treat here at Highmarsh Stadium without doubt over the next two to three weeks. Do you guys feel a sense of need to grasp this opportunity. I, I guess I'm reminded of uh, going back to the Sydney 2000 Games and the Hockey Roos won the gold medal and hockey had a real burst of popularity over that period in 2020. And uh, Karts, you and I come from a cricket background. Australia wins the T20 World Cup in front of 80,000 people. Two weeks later, COVID hits. But women's cricket has really exploded as a result as well. Is this a great opportunity for Football South Australia to, I guess, uh, and we talk about your role, Kimberly, in, in legacy. I mean, is this an opportunity that just you cannot afford to miss with regard to how you want to establish and see yourselves long term? As soon as South Australia was, was announced as hosting games in Adelaide, the board and management went about setting a legacy plan. There were three pillars that we were, were focusing on, infrastructure, leadership and participation, the state government partnered with us in leadership and participation. Particularly, we employed three regional development officers, one in the Air Peninsula, one in the Riverland, one in the Limestone Coast, to really expand our reach and opportunity for the game. Pleasingly, those positions have been going very, very well. We've expanded into the Adelaide Hills as well, really focused on participation of women and girls from community perspective, school-based perspective, and then a player pathway perspective that's been fantastic and Kimberley's been really heavily involved with the leadership side of uh, of the legacy plan. Um, we wanted to make sure that we don't miss what you say is an amazing opportunity. The feeling and the growth that we're having already, we're about 9.5% up on participation this year on the back of a Men's World Cup. We expect probably at least that again within the girls game. The challenge we've got is to make sure that we've got enough spaces to play. The game is limited by space. Mm. Let's work through those three planks. Let's start with leadership first of all. So you've been able to engage Kimberly. Michael's engaged you particularly in this role. What are we seeing with regard to leadership throughout clubs? What are we seeing regard to leadership throughout the game? Are we seeing an influx of women not just wanting to be part of a club but driving a club? Absolutely. One of the things that I'm, I come from a multi-sport background and I've worked in multiple sports. I think it's really unique to football, this commitment to a, a lasting legacy. Uh, we hear about it from some other sports, but I really think that football has set the mark and set the benchmark, particularly for leadership. So we went with the approach that we'd be fairly agnostic in the way we deliver that. Back in January, we hosted a leadership breakfast for young girls and players, uh, anywhere from ages 12 to 18, to just kind of set the tone. And that was across all sporting codes. It certainly isn't limited to football. We understand that having strong women in sport and representing presented in sport is important across the game. So for us, all the way down to club level, it's been great to see so many clubs come on board, committed to leadership. We've been very committed to that 40-40-20 mark, not only at a board level, but we want to see more women as administrators and executives in that space. So part of our challenge uh, has been providing those opportunities, providing that education, and providing ongoing support so that they feel they have a voice in a space. 
participation, you said, uh, Michael, that uh, I think participation's up around about 9%. Uh, with your participants, and in particular, I want to refer to young girls here, I, I would have imagined that maybe even 10 years ago, if you're a young girl growing up in soccer, your hero was maybe a Tim Cale or uh, one of the one of the big names, Cristiano Ronaldo or someone like that. Are we seeing a shift away from the men and they're embracing a Sam Kerr or even a couple of the South Australians? Uh, is it Charlotte Grant, Alex Chidiak? Are they becoming the role models of choice for young girls now? No doubt that's the case. Charlotte Grant and Alex Chidiak you know, started at a very young age within Clubland. They then moved to the Pathway programs within Football South Australia structure. Uh, Alex Chidiak won the Player of the Year, Senior Player of the Year at age 14 in 2013 and now she's playing them in the World Cup. Charlotte Grant, captain of Adelaide United, W League team, won the Shirley Brown uh, in 2018 as a 17-year-old and now she's playing in Sweden professionally. Alex Chidiak's playing Atletico Madrid. You know, these mm. girls are playing professionally and these are the, the they're providing a real opportunity for the young girls to believe that they could be the next Alex Chidiak or... Or, or Charlotte Grant. You know, Sam Kerr's an amazing athlete, has a huge profile, sponsored by one of the biggest brands in the world. You know, why can't these girls be that next that next champion? There's a massive mural of Sam Kerr, I think, somewhere in the western suburbs. It's just off Trimmer Parade if anyone wants to go and visit it. I mean, that's unheard of, even five years ago, that a female athlete from a sport like soccer, which hasn't historically been, you know, certainly women's soccer hasn't been embraced here in South Australia, and suddenly she's on the side of a wall, what, 10 metres high? Uh, the pathway for women's football, you know, is unbelievable. State-based, domestically, internationally, you know, these girls are playing professionally and they can earn some good money and have a huge profile within the game. So I think the World Cup here is going to open up a lot of eyes and a lot of excitement. The numbers that we're seeing at that young age, but also, you know, in the social divisions, we've had, you know, 8 to 10% growth year on year for probably seven, eight years within the girls' space. So it's been, it's been brilliant. We expect more. I just want to touch on participation a little bit more here. We, we referred to Charlotte and Alex, both members of the Matildas. They've come through local clubs here in South Australia. One of the things that struck me about, and I think I've got this right, the Go Sunny Solar Women's National Premier League, that competition features, I think, three teams that are not necessarily outright women's clubs, but certainly very, very strong almost run by women for women. I think that's certainly Flinders United is is very much in that space. I think Metro United, not too dissimilar. Salisbury Inter runs a men's team, but is in, extremely strong in women's football as compared to comparatively women's football. Is that by design? And have you found that that's been of great benefit, of great comfort to young girls and women to be in a space that they perhaps think is a little bit more uh, welcoming and safe? Or has that just been the way the cards have fallen? I think that the female-only clubs have been established over a period of time. And what we've seen over recent history, the last sort of 10 years, is where the men's clubs and the women's clubs have actually started to come back together and work together as one. And that's been a real step change. The launch of the WNPL, the Women's National Premier League, probably back in 2015-14, was a real change period for that to occur. We had the girls not playing within the parklands, they came to our 
you know, purpose-built football facilities to participate in double headers. That lifted the profile, elevated, you know, I guess the importance that we put on women's and girls' football. And then that has been consistently sort of changing over that period where we've got the likes of Adelaide City come together. The Metro United, whilst they're still two separate clubs, they still have a sister relationship with Metro United, with Metro Stars men's. Adelaide Comets is another good success story. So we don't have a a model, a female-only model. We would like a whole-of-football model where male, uh, females, boys and girls participate at the same venue. The issue is capacity. That's the the big thing. The synthetics pitches have certainly made a a big difference to that. The investment that the state government made in the state centre has been huge and the investment that came prior to that from the state government has made a huge impact on our ability to bring the clubs together, but it's been fantastic for the game. Let's touch on that then because we've talked about leadership and I think that's been a big tick for the organisation, Michael. Participation, the numbers are self-evident. That competition in particular, your WNPL just goes from strength to strength. Infrastructure, how do you assess where Football SA and football in general in South Australia is with regard to its infrastructure and its development, in particular for girls? I think we've done well over the recent times in terms of being able to partner with state, local government and invest in local f- infrastructure and in infrastructure projects. We certainly had a community focus initially. There was, you know, upwards of 16 sort of synthetic pitches with club rooms developed over a period of time and that culminated in the development of the state centre. All of these projects have had a step change with the ability for women and girls to be able to participate at good high quality facilities. There's a demand there now that is without doubt going to be you know, under huge pressure with the need for more infrastructure. Everyone's hungry for investment, but there's no doubt there's a direct correlation with that investment and the ability for the game to welcome a new wave of participation. A person asked me uh, a little while ago, are we ready for what's going to happen after the World Cup? I said, I, I have a little bit of a concern about our ability to actually cater for what we've got, where... You know, starting legacy leagues with schools, we've got a strong football and schools program. That club-based participation opportunity could be limited by lights, change facilities and open space. Mm. We need to be really smart on where that next investment uh, is going to take place. There's still a lot of work to be done in this area. I want to touch on a practical example about that with you, Michael. First of all, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to hear from the Alcohol and Drug Foundation's Good Sports Program, but we are talking football. We are talking legacy football on the back of the FIFA Women's World Cup. We're doing that with Kimberly Conte and Michael... I was going to call you Michael Barker. Michael <laughs> Carter. Remember Barker? You remember You've never called me Michael Carter in my life. Oh, I haven't. That's why I had trouble with the name. <laughs> And Michael Carter from Football South Australia. Back right after this, you're listening to Beyond the Club. Hey, it's Ishra here from Good Sports. We are Australia's largest community sport health program, helping over 10,000 clubs nationally to create safe, inclusive and family-friendly environments. Good clubs have strong memberships. A welcoming club with a strong culture and community reputation is in pole position when it comes to attracting even more families, members and volunteers. Good Sports is free for all community sports clubs. To learn more, head to goodsports.com.au. 
You're listening to Beyond the Club. I'm Ben Hook. I'm joined by Kimberly Conte and Michael Carter from Football South Australia. We're talking about the opportunities for football for girls and women on the back end of what is the Women's World Cup that we are coming up upon. I want to talk to you, Kimberly, about um, your clubs. Uh, are they actively involved in the Women's World Cup? Are you finding that the clubs are really staking a claim and, and I guess establishing some contacts with some of the clubs that will be based here for the, for a period of time? Absolutely. One of the things that's been great is there's been a great trickle downs all the way from FIFA to, of course, the National Federation and the State Federation and then down to clubs. So we've had the opportunity of getting our clubs involved. You'll see quite a few clubs involved in the official flag bearer program. So that's in the pretty up going up to games, ball kids, mascots. So there's been a great opportunity for clubs to get directly involved with young girls and young boys as well to get them enthused and excited about the World Cup coming up. Clubs, of course, are really excited about the increase in participation. Uh, They've developed a lot of come and try sessions. Many of them will be down at the Fan Fest, uh, down there at the mini pitches, showing what they can do and advertising their clubs. So there's been a great uptake from clubs. And, of course, lots of watch parties going on throughout the entire event. Football has always been very good at embracing diverse cultures and other sports perhaps not quite so comfortable in that space. Is this a great opportunity for you to link with Chinese communities, with Korean communities? Uh, English, I think, has always been relatively well assimilated, but is there some opportunities for you to really to, to develop those relationships? Absolutely. In fact, uh, today is an official training day for the Chinese team at the Croatian Centre. So that's an open training centre today. We'll see members from the public that get a chance to come down and, and see some of those people and those players firsthand, which is really exciting. So yeah, there's definitely been an opportunity. We've always been uh, good at engaging, I think, with multicultural. I mean, we don't even have to tell them, obviously, how to play the game. They play it better than we do. Uh, just us reaching out to them and getting them involved has been important for us to do. Do you feel like you compete with Aussie rules? And we, you, we were referring before about how it's you've got to be so careful that your club doesn't sort of boom and then bust. And we've almost seen that model in Aussie rules football. Is that... Is that something you compete with or you just simply are focused on your own sport, your own concerns, and I guess everything else outside of the, the football space is something for other people to worry about? Well, it's kind of a little bit of both. We actually obviously focus on improving what we do and what we offer and what we're committed to. That's that's goes without saying. But we've also paired a lot with other sports, other sporting codes to offer, like I said earlier, seminars, things for younger players, educational pieces, leadership development programs. So that's across all sport. We know that young girls at a very young age often travel between sports. We know that's part of the game and uh, we just try to be as agnostic as possible, hoping they come back into football, hoping that because we have been committed to creating a safe space, that that's what we'll see. But we're very committed to women's and girls across the board and no matter what sport it is, as long as we have young girls and women playing in sport, uh, we know that it sets them up for success for the rest of their lives. Michael, talking about sustainable clubs, Metro United, I think, plays at Limblom Park, which is the home of, people would refer to Paraka Football and Cricket Club, would probably be well aware of the area that we're talking about here. This is a National Premier League club. Describe the facilities that they're confronted with, if you like. Yeah, look, that's a huge success story, and congratulations to, to the Metro United women for doing what they do at the facility that they've got. There's a master plan that the Salisbury Council have done for their whole site, which is really exciting for the footy club, but also for Metro United Women's Soccer Club. They've got a, a light that has been in existence for 35 years, and it hasn't changed. I think it's about 12 metres high. It's got two sort of halogen lights that maybe 
pump out about 45 lux, <laughs> they, they've probably got 250 players within their club. Mm. Um, their facilities are just not adequate. We're working with them pretty closely to try and assist them. That, that is a, a desperate need for a significant investment and would be a step change for that club. You know, making sure that we provide a safe environment for women and girls participating on a Tuesday night uh, in a dark open space is, is important and that's that's certainly something that we're working pretty closely with the club to achieve an outcome there from a lighting perspective but also from a change room perspective. So, And they do an amazing job. So Metro United, I think specifically their Division 3 team, I'm going to get the terms wrong here, Karts, but they have a team that's specifically dedicated to mums and bringing women back into the game who've gone away and had kids and giving them a space where they can actively play competitively. I think it's wonderful. And, yeah, hopefully, as a National Premier League club, that we can see appropriate facilities for those guys. I do want to talk about one facility that you do have, and that's your home at Jepps Cross, which I've seen a couple of times now. That is amazing. And it isn't just for people who want to play top level 11 aside, you've got some incredible small pitches and so forth there that you're referring to, Kimberly. Yeah, well, look, it's a, it's a sorry, Kimberly. I'll, it's a unique facility, probably the only one in the country that basically turns from a stadium into a community-level facility. We opened it just after Easter last year in 2022, and the development's been fantastic. I think the partnership with the school, the Roman Mitchell School, is a perfect model for any future investment in facilities, be it football, be it whatever. It's been huge because you get that nine to three usage during the day and then it flips over to a community-level facility at night. The five-a-side pitches have been a real game-changer for us in terms of the ability for clubs to come and hire them, you know, just for training nights when their facilities are underwater and utilise them. But the five-a-side competition for the social player kicks off in October that opens up another opportunity. We offer a, a female-only mixed and male competition, social and sort of a semi-pro competition. We've got big plans for that place. It's working extremely well. It's already at capacity, which is brilliant. It wasn't built on the professional game, being able to, to, to make the facility sustainable. It's on a community-level facility, and it's worked very well. So we thank the state government for the investment that they've made there and for the football community to embrace the facility. It's been brilliant. Do you find people like me who have no historical background in football are wanting to come out and play these five-a-side sorts of games? If you could go there any day of the week and you have a you know a different community participating within that within that facility, we have a significant number of school students coming over, African communities, just boys, girls from around the local suburbs who come and participate. You know, just come in, utilize the facility, and, and enjoy for what it is. Talking to Michael Carter and Kimberly Conte from Football SA. On Beyond the Club, we always wrap our episode with a fast four. It's four takeaways from the episode. We're going to share those with you very shortly. In the meantime, let's take a message from the Sammy D Foundation. Hi, it's Rachel here from the Sammy D Foundation. As you know, we've been working since 2008 to ensure every young person has the possibility to live their best life, a life free from violence. In 2022, we celebrated a huge milestone. Our programs have now educated in excess of 200,000 people. In 2021, we were recognised for our work, receiving a silver medal in the Australian Crime and Violence Prevention Awards. To learn more about our programs, please visit samyd.org.au. 
Fast forward time on Beyond the Club with Kimberly Conte and Michael Carter from Football SA. We are so excited for the Women's World Cup. There is going to be some amazing games here in Adelaide. Kimberly, I think you've got those listed. We're going to share those with you very shortly. But let's get into our fast four points that we like to allow clubs to take away whenever they listen to an episode like this. Kimberly, I'll start with you. Sustainable clubs. What is the focus of sustainable clubs for Football SA? So we've partnered with the Australian Sports Commission and Football Australia to deliver a program called Club Changer. That Club Changer program is designed to create resourcing, whether it be online or in person, that can really enable clubs to become more sustainable. What does that mean? It means that we may have done a lot of the background work for you. If you're going to hire a new person, they don't know much about club governance, we can put them through a module and help them and educate them through that. Do you need more coaches, more officials, whatever that might be in the club to make it healthier, to help support the growth of the club? This club program has been designed for. And if you are a sporting club, so let's say you might even be an amateur club here in Adelaide, how do you access those sorts of resources? Yeah, great question. So on our Football South Australia website or on Football Australia's website, uh, they just click on uh, the information. It's called Game Changer. It's now trying to change to Club Changers. We just had a recent name change. I'm still calling it Game Changer. But they can click on that and the resourcing is there. And they can always contact the Football South Australia office. I'm more than happy to talk or go out to any local club and help them walk through the process. I think being from Clubland myself, if this program had been put in my lap at the time, I certainly would have taken it up. So Club Changer, it's available on the Football SA website, the Football Australia website. And if you're involved in a club and you want to get a little bit more involved in ensuring its long-term viability and sustainability, then Club Changer on those websites is a good place to start. Kimberly, tell me about the power of her. We came up with the power of her a few months ago. So this has been a project that's been designed by the minister, by Katrine, and we're just so grateful for her ongoing support with the Women's World Cup. She's just been absolutely incredible and has attended so many events on behalf of young women and girls in sport. So this symposium was designed by the Office of Recreation and Sport uh, as a project with all of us working together to bring women together across sport at uh, the Adelaide Oval on the 8th of August. It's called The Power of Her. There's some incredible speakers That'll be on during the day so people can come and buy tickets. And I just think for any female that's involved in sport, no matter what sport it is, it's a great opportunity to come see some amazing women and be surrounded with women that are heavily involved in sport and leadership. Let's talk about facility planning. We've discussed it, Katz, but what should clubs be doing now in regard to making sure that when the time comes, they can get their facilities to that next level. We expect a pretty strong increase in participation, so I'd encourage clubs to get their facility needs in order. List them, talk to the local governments, get their planning documentation ready. Submit that to Football South Australia so that we can update our infrastructure plan. And if opportunities arise with the state government, we are ready to go with shovel-ready projects. So the message is just be prepared. Talk to your, your local governments. Understand what you need to do to cater for your participation and be ready. Is the challenge finding green space or is that secondary? You think that that's something that you can accommodate, finding the green space? I mean, football isn't a massive footprint, is it, It's uh, as a sport? Is it green space or is it getting the facilities that are suitable on what's around the place? It's both. There are existing footprints that need to be upgraded, but there's also opportunity of green space with partnering with local schools. Uh, we see that as a huge opportunity. I know... The Office of Recreation Sport, in partnership with the Minister, are really keen to see these opportunities explored further. It's about understanding what your schools need in terms of how you can utilise the facilities and whether they're willing to allow and open up their space. But it's all about relationships 
relationships and respectful partnerships. So get ready. Yeah, it, but it is it is something that I think has been identified. Certainly, I've noticed it in hockey recently where a school and a club are going to link up to share a facility. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it, Cats? Total sense. Total sense. We're, we're not going to get new new green space, you know, open up within suburbs. It's going to be using the space better that we've got. Mm, mm, really good. Tell us about the scholarship program. I've dealt with one of your colleagues, Hayley Routley, who is an emerging commentator, and you can just tell the passion she has for it. And we've worked together on a few other projects here and there. But just tell us about the scholarship program that you're running, in particular for women in leadership roles going forward. So the Football South Australia board uh, decided a few weeks ago to announce a scholarship program as a result of a fund that we had from the old South Australian Women's Soccer Association sitting on the balance sheet. Basically, the scholarship program is designed to support underprivileged people within society to be able to access participation opportunities, but also also for leaders, aspiring leaders within the game, whether it's through media, whether it's through coaching, whether it's through refereeing, whether it's actually through you know management of clubs to apply for a scholarship through Football South Australia. There's all the details on the website on how to apply, what sort of criteria we need the individuals to meet and then to access funds to support their development, whether it's participation or whether it's within that leadership space. A really great initiative from the board and I think from the organisation. If there are businesses out there who want to support this scholarship fund, we invite that also. But this is something that we hope will last for sort of four to five years and hopefully beyond that. We've got a lot of people wanting to participate in the game. A lot of those, we don't want finance to be a barrier. Are you finding that there's a good uptake with this program? There has been so far very good, whether it's through the pathway programs or whether it's just through our regular participation programs through clubs. It's been great. And I've got to say, Hayley's amazing because she does pick up on some of the good ones of these and they often end up in the Sunday Mail newspaper column on Sundays as she well. She is fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Kimberly Conte, Michael Carter, thank you so much for your time on Beyond the Club. Enjoy the next couple of weeks. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. So that's a wrap on Season 2, Episode 11 of Beyond the Club. You can access the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes or by heading to our webpage, flinders.edu.au forward slash shape. I'm Sam Elliott on Twitter. I'm at BenHook1 on Twitter. And, of course, you can find Beyond the Club on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. You name it, we are there and we'd love to be able to share our story with you. Thanks to our crew in the Flinders Good Vibe Factory. Our producer is Dan Coston. Our music was completed by Benny Watson and our delightful artwork by Alicia Menzel. Thanks for your company on Beyond the Club. We'll see you for Episode 12. It's not far away.